Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. No matter how close or estranged any of us may be with our parents, there always lingers the question of how well do we know them? How well do we know who they really are? Think about the questions kids wonder about. What their parents really do at work? What are their sex lives like? What are the conversations that go on after they go to bed? And as kids become adults, they often still wonder, and sometimes they even transfer those very same questions in trying to understand their partners or their spouses and ultimately themselves. Because we are the sum total of the answers to so many of these questions, we keep seeking answers. This intimate search for identity is at the heart of Susan Faludi's new work, In the Dark Room. Susan Faludi is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, the author of The Terror Dream, Stiffed, and the best-selling and still-influential Backlash, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award. She's a former reporter for the Wall Street Journal, and it is my pleasure to welcome Susan Faludi back to this program to talk about In the Dark Room. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Delight to have you here. Talk a little bit about how this story begins, the, t- the email that you received from your father. Yes, well, uh, almost 13 years ago now, um, I received an email from my father um, who I had not been in touch with for more, uh, we'd barely spoken for more than a quarter century. Um, so out of the blue, I get this email that's captioned changes and uh, in which my father says, Dear Susan, I have some interesting news for you. I've decided that I have had enough with impersonating a macho, aggressive man that I've never been inside. Uh, and the interesting news was that my father, um, uh, a month earlier, this is 2004, had flown to Thailand without telling anyone in the family and had sex reassignment surgery to become a woman. Uh, I should add that uh, on top of that, my father at the time was 76 years old. Um, my my father and I had not spoken in all those years uh, precisely because uh, when I was a child growing up, my father was indeed a macho aggressive man, also controlling, dominating, and even toward um, the end of my parents' marriage, violent um, uh, all of which fueled my feminism. So this is, as you can imagine, was a um, very startling moment, to say the least. And talk a little bit about your initial reaction to it as you sat there and read that email. Well, you know, um, I, I mean, I was stunned on many levels, but I think the thing that got me the most, and that evening uh, I remember sitting um, at a, a chamber music concert, um, and it was a piece that was actually a requiem for a parent. Um, and I just uh, found myself so um, deeply shaken with this outpouring of, of um, uh, pain and actually shame because I thought to myself, you know, you thought you had your father pegged all these years and you didn't know the first thing about her. And as you started to think about that, Talk a little bit about some of the issues, some of the thoughts that really motivated you to explore this further, to meet up with him, and to really begin to understand who he was. Well, you know, um, my father, in the phone call that 
eventually followed the email, my father invited me to come write her story. Uh, and so, and I, you know, <laughs> not, uh, you know, as a journalist, as a feminist, and ultimately, and most importantly, as a daughter, um, felt utterly compelled to see my father. Uh, and as a journalist, I've, I uh, clung to my reporter's notebook, <laughs> wanting to, uh, I, to begin this journey with the with almost the security blanket of of being the inquiring reporter with her list of questions and and tape recorder um so it was it began as a way for us to reconnect um through this um somewhat of a buffer of a uh, at least the uh illusion that that we were in this reporting process uh so I flew over to Hungary which was where my father um, had moved um, uh, after my parents divorced. Uh, my father had been living in New York, and then in 1990, with the fall of communism, my father returned to Hungary, where um, where she had grown up. Um, so that's a whole another layer which we can get to in a moment. But I felt that I could not um, move forward without uh, coming to grips with uh, with my relationship with my father. And that, you know, here I am, somebody who's been writing about gender issues all her life. And, um, and you know, my father had kind of driven a Trojan horse into, into my professional and political um, domain. And I really couldn't move forward with my own writing without admitting to my own experience. As you met with her and began to look back at some of the experiences, some of your memories from childhood, to what extent did you look at those memories anew and begin to see things that, that you perceived a certain way as you were a child and as you grew up with those memories and begin to see them in a different light, in a different way? Well, uh, one of the hallmarks of my of my father's behavior when I was growing up, that um, uh, he was this frenetic sportsman um, and sort of always physically uh, testing himself and unfortunately dragging me along <laughs> in the bargain. So we were rock climbing and you know, repelling from cliffs and ice climbing and um, bicycling across the Alps. So it was you know, always sort of testing um, the, uh, the what I saw is uh, you know, testing um, how manly he he could be. Um, and now looking back on it, I see that uh, so much of that was uh, an, an effort to try and um, sort of force himself into this hyper masculine mold. Um, it was sort of a reaction to, uh, uh, you know, his, a deeper struggle about um, about gender. But I always knew growing up that my father was very hidden, and that, and I had the sense that my father was putting on sort of one guise after another. Um, but I didn't, and I, I didn't see it so specifically it's about gender. Mm -hmm. and, and frankly, I think 
the gender you know gender doesn't explain it all that my father had a had a more global confusion about um identity and and where he and now she belonged um and not just um having to do with what sex she was but also what nationality what her politics were and very importantly her religion there's almost a, a tribal confusion about it all. It's where does one, and, and we see this in so many respects today with people, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Who's, who is my tribe? Exactly. I mean, I think that's um, yeah, one, of, one of the great gifts for me in, in watching the story of my father and unfold is that it gave me this window on the great battle of our time over identity, over this um, you know, overwhelming desire you see around the world to, um, to belong to some tribe, often an invented tribe, to sort of brand yourself. And it's uh, been distorting our um, politics here at home and around the globe, I mean, whether it's make America great again, Trumpism or ISIS or the Brexit vote or all of these right-wing national, nationalistic, xenophobic parties that um, are arising in Europe. Uh, there's this desperation to say, here's where I belong, perhaps because of, you know, in part, because all of the old modes of belonging are, are unraveling. And that um, really seems to be a central question in this, the degree to which this move towards greater tribalism today comes from, as as you say, so many of the traditional things are unraveling, the traditional tribes, the traditional touchstones are, are, are more difficult to find in, in, a, in, a world, in a more globalized world, or whether there is something just hardwired into us, something that is inherent in this need to belong, in this need for tribalism? I think, well, you know, we're social animals. We, right. we do need, we need to belong. We need to f- feel other people um, have our back, that we um, have people we can turn to who will care for us and protect us. I think those are utterly uh, essential parts of being human. The question is, what do we do with that? Uh, and one of the things I saw over and over again in, in researching this book was how identity could be uh, um, either liberating or oppressive, depending on how one approached identity. Uh, if uh, identity is a sort of journey to self-knowledge, to self-understanding, um, to sort of widening what and on your um, awareness of where you are, where you are, and where you fit in the world, um, and I would put under that category uh, LGBT rights, women's rights, uh, civil rights. Um, then it can be a great emancipation. But so much of the identity um, quests we're seeing today um, are about uh, denying. Uh, realities of one's real problems and looking elsewhere for uh, a scapegoat to demonize an attack. Um, And when I was in Hungary, I saw 
those two identities collide um, very uh, viscerally um, at the 2008 Gay Pride Parade, uh, where uh, uh, marchers uh, were beset upon by these right-wing thugs who wanted to believe that um, you know, the LGBT community of a very small community in, in Hungary um, was the source of, of all their economic and, and social travails. Uh, and the result was a, you know, this, this bloody uh, melee with them throwing rocks and um, beating people up viciously. And that's the kind of that's the kind of drama we're seeing around the world and here. I mean, most recently in Orlando. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that in different times it was more acceptable, I suppose, to play with the idea of, of, of identity, to take on different roles, to be different people in different ways, and that at other times, and perhaps particularly the time that we're living in now it becomes much more difficult to do that. The stakes seem somehow so much higher. Um, well, you know, in the trans community, though, um, there is both, you know, there's, there's a great debate over this, and it, it sort of boils down to the question of what do we mean by trans? Are we transitioning from one sex to another? Um, or are we, tra- trans, are we transcending the gender binary uh, altogether? Um, and particularly among, you know, the newer generation of trans advocates, um, there's a great deal of support for the argument that uh, our, you know, gender identity is fluid and idiosyncratic, um, and it's not just about uh, deciding, okay, I'm a woman or I'm a man. Um, and the sort of Caitlyn Jenner model of uh, uh, the trans woman as, uh, Marilyn Monroe on the cover of Vanity Fair is uh, one that many trans uh, people I know um, find appalling, um, and the and uh, uh, in opposition to um, their vision uh, of really uh, making radical change in in how we um, define these categories. I guess part of it is also the degree to which gender, and you touched on this before, particularly with respect to your father, the degree to which gender as an, as an identity stands on its own and the, the degree to which it is tied up with so many of these other aspects of identity. Yes. Well, one is, um, you know, we, we think of, we often think of identity as an internal um, and individual choice. Uh, but what I saw in my father was, um, you know, uh, an identity that was shaped by and was inseparable from everything that happened to her, happened around her, her history, her nation's history, um, all those external forces she couldn't choose. Uh, in my father's case, I mean, most dramatically, um, uh, my father grew up in Hungary, in Budapest, as a Jewish boy who uh, was the child, only son of very privileged, assimilated parents who lived a life of uh, of um, affluence until World War II. Um, 
in which at which point all was swept away. Large numbers of my family perished in the Holocaust, and my father was left um, as a teenager to survive by his wits on the street, um, trying to pass as a Christian armed only with uh, false identity papers and a stolen uh, fascist armband. Uh, so, uh, uh, and ultimately my father even used that armband at one point to pose as a fascist uh, Hungarian Arrow Cross officer to rescue his parents. Um, so these, I mean, these questions of, uh, in, in that case, my father uh, really had no choice but uh, to present uh, a false identity. And, and that, um, those, the kind of experience, the trauma of the Holocaust infused everything else in my father's life. Um, so it wasn't a matter of just picking an identity. It was a matter of struggling to find an identity within the frame of all of um, these other um, forces of, of history and, and life experience. The question that grows out of that is the degree to which, if you had known much of this history about your father and understood him differently, how that might have changed your views and who you are. Well, it's, it's an unknowable at one level, right? Sure. I mean, I want, and, and I partly wonder, I must have known. <laughs> I mean, I think my father's uh, mystery and uh, you know the sort of the feeling that there was something that my father was hiding, um, and that it had something to do, in at least in part, with gender, um, has uh, had played a huge role in my devoting my life to uh, questions of gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know. If I had it to do again, um, I well, if we both had it to do again, I think my father would have been more open um, at an earlier age. But you know, that would have required the whole culture being more open. I, my, I was growing up in the early '60s. This was not a period when you know we're living in suburbia. This is not a moment a moment in the culture that would be welcoming such a revelation with open arms. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, I mean, later my father said to me that when we talked about becoming a woman and what that meant to my father, she would say over and over that now that she's a woman, she can talk talk more to other people, but mainly to other women. Um, So, you know, that was an immense... um, opening for her and opening for our relationship. Talk a little bit about the arc of his experience when he began to realize some of these issues himself. I, we talked a lot about that, and um, you know, my father <laughs> a, uh, likes to play this kind of cat-and-mouse game, so I would pu- the more I push, the more my father would, would withhold, but then if I backed off, then my father, you know, like three days later would answer the question. <laughs> so we, all of these answers were um, long in coming. Uh, but uh, ultimately what my father said was that uh, she felt... Uh, these feelings uh, since childhood, and she recalled putting on her mother's 
you know, clothes when she was like eight years old um, or maybe even younger. Um, and this, this was something she always thought about but didn't, uh, didn't dare act on. Um, you know, so I think there's a part of it that was just, you know, was always with her and, and persistent and undeniable. Um, the, beyond that, though, how she perceived of womanhood and what she wanted out of becoming a woman, those were more cultural questions that were shaped by her experience. Um, you know, that she wanted to be a sort of girly girl, uh, 1950s woman had to do with the generation she grew up with. And the decision to go alone, to go quietly, secretly to Thailand to, to do this surgery. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that breaks my heart. Um, you know, here my father has already made this dramatic move to move back to Hungary, the country that, you know, exterminated more than a uh, half million Jews. Um, and after the fall of communism, a lot of that anti-Semitism came surging back. Um, and if anything, it's even worse um, now than it was in the 1990s. Um, so my father was already very isolated in Budapest. Um, and then to go to Thailand without telling anybody um, other than um, my father did tell a, a former girlfriend in Budapest. Um, but even there, my father made it such a joke, she didn't even realize that that this was real, that my father was serious un, until um, my father actually called her after the operation. Um, uh, so, so there was. She was in. She was really the only person who my father said anything to until, you know, like a month later. But it speaks to my father's terrible isolation, and I think my father um, hoped deeply that somehow um, becoming a woman would free him from, you know, this bell jar that he had been in. Um, and to some extent, I'd say, did. Uh, uh, um, she became closer to other women. She became closer to me. Um, I think there were, might be other ways she could have uh, made those connections. Um, but it, this was something she needed. She felt she needed to do, and it gave her a, a level of peace. And how did he feel about you writing about this, about putting this experience out there? From the get-go, my father wanted me to write this story. Um, The first phone conversation we had after I received the email saying that um, my father had become a woman, uh, she said, write my story. Um, And uh, was sort of grumbled that I was writing about everyone else and not her. Uh, so, but you know, for for quite a few years, while I went through the motions of uh, well, more than the motions, but you know, taking notes, you know, sitting for kind of formal interviews with a tape recorder, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with this. Uh, 
for many years, it was, for, for me anyway, a way to reconnect with my father and try and understand her. Um, but as we went along, and she opened up more, um, uh, not just about uh, her trans experience, but about her entire past, um, and as I saw ways to tell that the story um, was a sort of a portal on a larger um, uh, immense cultural issue about identity, then I, be, I, I began to see how this could be a, a book that would be important for other people mm-hmm. to read, not just a therapeutic exercise for me. And my father was very, um, very excited about it uh, and uh, very eager for me to write it. And did you, in the course of, of researching the book, talk to other members of other families that had gone through similar experiences to yours? Um, some, yeah. I'm, my main focus was uh, trying to understand my father's uh, very idiosyncratic experience. Um, I brought in a lot of, you know, I mean, I talked to um, a lot of trans people, trans advocates, theorists, um, read a lot of history um, and trans memoirs. Um, but I brought that in to, to understand my father more than to, you know, what I did not want to do was tra- generalize from my father's experience um, to you know, hold forth on the transgender phenomenon, which I think is an you know, incredibly complicated and um, issue and specific to to uh, each, you know, you, you can, there's no way that you can take one trans person <laughs> and say this is um, this person's experience stands f- for the whole. Right, the exper- their experience, your, your father's experience. I mean, certainly those are different, but in terms of the way other family members or those close to react, I mean, is is there some similarity in those reactions? Well, I, yeah, I mean, in that, you know, I, I, I think what you said at the beginning of our, in your introduction so applies in, mm-hmm. to my experience in that, you know, whether you have a trans parent or just, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, a parent you don't really understand, so many of us just grow up incarcerated <laughs> in the house under sharing the same roof with someone who we really have no idea about. So I think this is just another level of that. Um, and, you know, to be the child of, um, of such a parent, one can go in many different directions. Um, I mean, sadly, there are um, children who just don't want to have anything to do with it. And, um, uh, and others who have a good relationship with their parent to begin with, so the transition is is made easier by that. I mean, my experience and what I've seen with others is it has a lot to do with uh, whether uh, the child and the parent really uh, want to either maintain a connection, a, a healthy, you know, loving connection or, in my case, um, really uh, want to make, you know, want to use this as a a point of possible reconciliation of, 
making up for uh, so many years of estrangement. And for me, that was a that was a great gift. And I think for my father too. We both, you know, had this standoff, and here was um, an opportunity to 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 begin to heal that breach. Susan Faludi, her book is In the Dark Room. Susan, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much.